Ruth chapter 2. If you'll remember, we began a study with Ruth. Uh, I'm quickly falling in love with the book of Ruth. Four little chapters that need to be there to tie David and his lineage of the tribe of Judah from Genesis all the way through Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. Four little chapters written during the time of Judges. During the time of Judges, probably when they were oppressed for 18 years by Moab, but nobody really knows. But the amazing thing is, is God shows us the apostasy of the book of Judges where they keep falling away. And then he would raise up these saviors, these deliverers. He shows us this whole nation that is apostate. But then the very next book in the canonized scriptures says, wait a minute. It all looked like it was bad, but there was actually a little family, three people that were doing the right thing. And we see a picture here. We're going to see a picture of Naomi, Ruth, who comes from the tribe of Boaz, and then, and then Boaz himself, excuse me, Ruth who comes from the tribe of the Moabites, and Boaz, these three people are the main characters, and they are still putting God on the throne of their life. They don't seem to be in apostasy. They don't seem to be asleep. They just seem to be not understanding completely the ways of God. When you talk about the way of Naomi, um, she didn't really understand that God was delivering her. And she thought that all these things were kind of against her. Do you remember when um, um, Jacob said that? When Joseph was hiding who he was, his identity, and they took Benjamin down there. And Jacob said, all these things are against me. And he did not know it was for the salvation, the deliverance of the entire nation to protect it and preserve it in a time of famine. Well, there was a time of famine going on here for the word of God, for the law of God. The people of God have walked away. And then we see this little glimpse of hope. And it comes in, a, the book should be called Boaz, but it's called Ruth and the focus is upon the bride. And that's the way it is right now. The Holy Spirit puts the focus upon the bride being prepared for Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Boaz, we're going to see, and we're, I, I, I hate, I can't, I can't even hold myself. I want to get to it. He's a kinsman redeemer. We're introduced to that word in this chapter, the kinsman redeemer, the nearest relative. Why is that important? Because the entire concept of kinsman redeemer is introduced in these four little chapters, and it's what Jesus became to you and I. He became flesh so he could become man, so he could become a kin to the kin and become the kinsman redeemer to mankind. In flesh, he became acquainted with our grief. He came to save to the uttermost. Isn't that amazing? Kinsman redeemer. He is related to us. We become children of God, adopted into the family of God. And now he is, by law, able to redeem us and pay our debt. That's all introduced here in this chapter. And we might go there. You know, if you want to write it down, it's in Leviticus uh, 25, uh, 23 through 25. It's in uh 
25, 47 through 55 with the redemption of people. It's in Deuteronomy uh, 25, 5 through 10 when you have the, the redemption of the, of the name of a person. It's called leveret marriage. But isn't it amazing that God put this in his law? If somebody was in debt and they couldn't pay it, their nearest of kin could come and pay their debt and release them from that debt, even if it wasn't the year of Jubilee. And that's what Jesus did. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And his name is always his character, his nature, and his will. And it's what he came for. He was the Messiah of God, the Lamb of God. He came to pay a debt we couldn't pay. He came to become the kinsman redeemer and redeemed us from the slavery and the bondage of sin that carried a curse of death, eternal separation from God. And as the kinsman redeemer, when you believe that he paid that price for you, you can follow him into heaven. You can be seated with him in heavenly places. You can gain an inheritance. You can become a child of God who sits at the table of God. And God the Father is your father. By the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. We just sang that song, Abba, Father. So it's so amazing. And that's what Boaz introduces us to. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. So let's start. I'm sorry. I get carried away. Remember, again, there's apostasy going on. The tribes are supposed to be living for God and they've got their cupboards full and they've walked away from God. And God always raises up an enemy to attack that's more uh, vicious and more evil than even his people are at that time. So that they will have nowhere to go except to God. Listen, listen, when your problems come up, when your battles come up, when your sin arises, listen, go to God. Don't become anxious and worry about your problems. Why? Because the Proverbs tell us in Proverbs 12, 23, anxiety or worry in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word will make it glad. And that's, a, that's an amazing word. That word for depression means either you will bow down to God for help and choose his ways, or you will become depressed in your spirit. You need the good word to know that God's an ever-present help in time of need. Or you will go into depression. And then where do you go? You get spoiled. You get cheated. You get tricked. And the world begins to help you. When God pronounces something upon a people, you cannot go to the world for help. Go read Isaiah 30 and 31. He says, you're going to go into captivity. And they go, we're going down to Egypt. And they try to flee to Egypt for help. Maybe we'll talk about that someday and teach that lesson. It's a great lesson. You can't go to the world for help. You have to run to God. He's an ever-present help in time of need. And guess what? That's where Naomi and Ruth have went. Remember, Elimelech, let me, let me just give you back the, the narrative here. Elimelech was the dad. Elimelech means, my God is king. He's married to Naomi, which means pleasant. 
There's a famine in the land. They've got two sons, Malon and Chilion. It means puny and unhealthy. Their family was puny, two kids, and unhealthy because Elimelech, the dad, wasn't leading it properly. And he said, there's a famine in Bethlehem of Judea, the house of bread and praise, the place that they should be in their own house of bread where Christ would be born. So they go down to Moab for 10 years. In the course of that time, I believe that God was speaking to Elimelech the whole time. Go home to the house of bread. Why are you in a foreign land where you're not supposed to be? Why are you down here in unclean territory? And he refused to listen to God, and I believe God killed him. My opinion, my reading into the story, because John, 14, John 15 says that if you do not bear fruit, God will lift you up. We're supposed to bear fruit. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to listen to God. We cannot be the children of God and think that we would be left out of His chastisement. He chastises those He loves. He was the leader of this family. And He would not listen and take His family back home. And it was unhealthy. What we call dysfunctional today. Naomi, pleasant, wonderful wife. Followed her husband. And here's puny and unhealthy. Malon and Chilion. They married foreign wives even though they were not supposed to. Because dad's bad leadership. And I believe God began to deal with them when dad died. Now you got to get rid of the movies you've watched. Because that was people taking their liberty also. So the movies that you watched about this story. Or the books that you've read about Ruth. Where some author has added all that in. I'm now telling you what I think happened. Now these two kids, puny and unhealthy, Malon and Chilion, they're now the male heads of the family. Whoever was the firstborn, God would begin to deal with them. And say, listen, this family needs to be run and get back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, to your own people, out of this unclean land of Moab where you're not supposed to have anything to do with them. And when they wouldn't listen to God's voice, God killed them one at a time. When the firstborn was dead, then the next one becomes the head of the house. And now these ladies are left with no relative that is male in Moab. They have no leader. They have no hope. A widow in those days would end up eating in the dump and dying. She would have nobody to take care of her. You see it in the narrative when they're going back. And you have Orpah and Ruth. And, 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 and Naomi says, just go back to your gods. Because she's a little bitter. She says, God has dealt with me in a bitter way. And, and she knows it's God. She knows it's the hand of God. And she's going home where they should have went. Back to the house of bread and praise. But she says, there's nothing there for you because I have no male relative. If I had a husband today, I wouldn't have children for you to marry later. Would you wait on them? Orpah turns back. But the beautiful statement of, of and commitment of Ruth is, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. See, they're returning 
And as Naomi returns, Ruth wants to go also because of her witness to her, because of her character that she is seen. And she's giving up her gods and coming to the God Yahweh. She's coming to the one and only God. That's salvation, and it's, and it's a prefiguring of the Gentile church, you and me, coming to salvation in the house of God. What a commitment she makes there. And then in 2-1, we get this story, or we get this little line from the Holy Spirit. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. Now, it could have been a brother, could have been a cousin, we don't know. But he had great wealth, and he was of the family of Elimelech, which means my God is king. His name was Boaz. And Boaz means in him is strength. In him is strength. Do you understand that's where our strength, our power, our walk, that's how we're rooted and built up and established is in Christ? See, Boaz is a type of Christ. And in him, we are strong. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer here. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. This is such a beautiful book that I don't know if I ever get this love story out to us. But you've got to know that this is so deep. It's four little chapters of redemption that are here. And, and, and listen, God is so wealthy, he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. Listen, he owns everything. And he redeems us into his kingdom. Because of who he is, not because of who we are. We are foreigners. We are unclean. We deserve death. And he gave us mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so we're given this line, and it's just like just thrown out there that there is a near relative. Even though Naomi and Ruth came back thinking they were going to have to fend for themselves. It's as if Naomi knew that didn't think there was any relatives. It's as if it's like, wow, out of nowhere, here comes a male relative. And we're introduced on the pages to this kinsman redeemer. And in him is strength. So there's wealth. There's strength. He's in the right family. My God is king. So Ruth the Moabitess, she's the un unclean foreigner who has nothing. She has less than what Naomi has because she's a foreigner. And she's in Bethlehem now. And it's the beginning of the barley harvest, if you'll remember from our last verse of chapter 1. Said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now, I, I circled after him because somehow this is going on and we're not getting all of it. And the Holy Spirit's telling us that there is a near relative and his name is Boaz. And maybe Naomi's saying, you know, it has occurred to me that there is somebody who could redeem us and we wouldn't have to be poor and starved to death. And it's the harvest time. And maybe you can go out and, and, and you know, you can go get some grain for us so we can make some bread and we wouldn't starve. And she says, okay, well, well, well please let me go out to the field and I'll glean heads of grain after him 
in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, now this tells us, and you'll see it later in the story also, I think it's actually... Um, verse 20 no no it's verse uh, 19 blessed be the one who took notice of you she doesn't Naomi doesn't know where the field's at uh, she doesn't know much about Boaz maybe she doesn't know where he's at because she says maybe I can find it and, and she goes to glean she left she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and, and the King James says, and she hap. It's H-A-P. She just hap. Now, it's translated happened, and it's not really what it means. She hap to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Who was of the family of Limelech. You don't just hap to do anything in life. It's called a god dance It's called the providential care of God. She was willing to work. She was willing to go into the field. She was willing to do what it took to survive. And God blessed her obedience. God blessed her commitment. God blessed her. I believe, listen, I believe, this is, all, this is what I believe. I believe she prayed. I believe she wanted to go out. And it was made in the Levitical law that when you glean your field, you weren't allowed to turn around and go back and pick up what you left. When you gleaned the field, you would go through the field, and whatever fell on the ground, you were supposed to leave. And it was the welfare system of God for the poor. But the poor had to get up and go out and do some work to get the food. They had to pick it up off the ground. They had to go get it themselves into the field, but it was somebody else's field. But you were allowed to go get it by law if they dropped it. Okay, and that's how it is. And I think that we've seen, you know what, I don't know if you guys know, but in Alabama, they made it mandatory that if you was on welfare, that you had to be looking for a job and they help you get a job. And their role has went down 80%. That's, well, that's a lot, 80%. Because, because either people got off of it because they don't want to work and they don't want the money or because they're getting jobs. And the welfare system is for that. The government never should be God to us. The welfare system is not there to make you their God. It's supposed to help you for a period, and then you come back and you get redeemed. In this system God had, at the year of Jubilee, you would get all of your stuff back, all of your land, all of your property, you would get back in the year of Jubilee. Guess what the problem is? Naomi and Ruth, Naomi doesn't have any male to get the property back. All the inheritance went to the man. Ruth is a foreigner. She doesn't get anything. She has nothing. That's why it's amazing that she would follow Naomi. Her hopes in Bethlehem were worse than Naomi's. And yet we're going to see the providential care of God. Listen, listen, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And he has called us to go out into his field and work. We're supposed to be going out for the harvest. 
We're supposed to be doing what he has called us to do. Our kinsmen, redeemers, field is right here. The fields are white for a harvest, but the laborers are few. And it lays on the ground. And we won't go out and pick it up. We won't go out and tell somebody. We won't go out and share the gospel. When people are dying and needing hope, you know what they're doing? They're turning to witchcraft. They're turning to Islam. They're turning to every ism on the planet and being spoiled and deceived by the liar because God's people will not go out and work in his field. We have a choice. Listen. Well, where would I go? What would I do? Listen. All you have to do is have a heart to work in God's field. And his providential care will lead you to where you need to be. All she had was a heart. Can I go? Let me go into the field. Let me get some grain, Naomi, so that we would not starve. Let me go. And God providentially led her right to where she needed to be, to be redeemed for eternity. And if this doesn't happen, listen to me. If she doesn't get to Boaz's field, Jesus never happens. Can we trust God for this? Of course we can. He knows what he's doing. And all we have to do is have a heart. We don't need a roadmap. Jesus is the roadmap. We don't need somebody to guide us. The Holy Spirit guides us. You have to have a heart and say, I'm willing to go into your field for your glory for such a time as this. That's what you need to have. And then you enter into his field and work. But you don't do it in your own power or your own might for your own glory. You're going to notice as you see this that the whole time Ruth is working. Did I mention Ruth means friendship or friend? The whole time she's working, Naomi's on her mind. She's working to take care of other people. She's not out there for herself. She's out there to serve others. And that's what the servants of God do when they're in his field. So she just happened into the field of the Redeemer. The word hap, as I started to tell you, means an accident or good fortune. Listen. It's a God of dance. It's God's provincial, provincial care. He knows what you're going to do. We cannot even come close to looking at the wisdom of God. He already knows the choices. He already knows where we're going. It's all, it's all sewn together in the fabric of the world. So his wisdom is so high that you don't even need to try to figure it out. Just say, Lord, I want to do your work in your field for your harvest, for your glory. I want to be one of those reapers. I want to go out with your power and your might, with your word, because it's your field and it's your glory. You're the one that redeemed me. I'm unclean and you give me your son and adopted me. I want to work in your field. And I guarantee you, he'll put you to work. I guarantee you, he'll use your life. It's God's field. Now behold, Boaz, here she is in the field, providential care. Do you guys know this? Listen, this is Bethlehem. Do you know what field it is? 
I can't prove it, but traditionally they say, and if you go visit Israel, you'll see it's the same field that the shepherds are out watching their flock by night. And the sky burst open and the angel of the Lord says, Behold, today a son is born. It's the announcement of Christ being born. And those shepherds are out there going, Oh my goodness, we're going to die. Today to you is born in the city of Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Same field as Boaz is filled. Same field. The same field where she's gleaning and working. It's God's field. It's the Messiah's field. It's the kinsman redeemer's field. It's his planet. It's his universe. I, I think it blows me away. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He came from the house of bread and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Now listen. In him his strength comes from Bethlehem. The strength comes from Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he comes and he says, the Lord be with you. Wouldn't you like to work for a guy like that? You're working, you're in the field, and he goes, the Lord be with you. Well, listen, he wants the Lord to be with him. He wants them to be with the Lord because then they're a better worker because they're working unto the Lord and they're not just working for, for money. They're not working for earthly reward. They're working for God. And so they say the same thing back. And my point is this, is as I thought it was just Naomi that knew that there was a God and she wasn't in apostasy. I thought that it was just Ruth who got saved and returned with Naomi and they returned to the house of bread and, and, and they weren't in apostasy. But even these workers, Boaz knows God. Bo Boaz is not in apostasy. And that's the picture that God's trying to show us. That even in apostasy, even when the judges are going on and they're delivering all the nation has walked away, there's always a remnant. And even his workers, because of his witness, bless him back because they know there's a living God. So all these people, they're in apostasy, the world around them, but they're still doing the work in the field of God. And so even though the planet and the church is in apostasy, you and I do not have to be there. We can be at work in the field for God's glory. It's not a time to sleep. It's not a time to sleep. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers. Who do you think that servant is that's in charge of the reapers? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in charge of us. He's handing out the estate of God. He's in the field of God. He's, 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 he's ordering up all the workers of God. And that's where we look for our power and our strength, our assignments, our gifts and everything. This servant here, the head servant, is the Holy Spirit type of, I should say to you. Whose young woman is this? I, it it kinda, kind of reminds me of the devil saying, or excuse me, God saying to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? Whose servant is this? Whose servant are you? Whose damsel is what it is? Whose young woman are you? Who do you belong to? The kinsman redeemer wants to know. Asking the Holy Spirit, Jesus would say to the Holy Spirit, who, who, whose is this? Is this one of ours? 
Is this a sheep or a goat? Are they working in my field or their field? There's a, there's a stranger in the field. And Boaz wants to know whose young woman is this? Because he's interested. Remember, he's interested. He's not married. He's single. He's looking for a bride. I mean, Boaz is a picture of Christ. His eyes go to and fro. He's looking for those who would obey him. He's saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. So he's concerned. He wants to know. You know, Christ loves us with a never-ending love. He has eyes for you, only for you. Listen, he loves you. He loves you. And he would say, whose damsel are you? And he wants us all to come to his saving knowledge. So he wants to know who you belong to. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, this, he's telling the whole story to his master, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. The sheaves, they would bundle it up and tie it, and it's a sheave. And, and, and then somebody would come by and pick it up, and the women are doing that work, and then the men are picking them up. So she came, and he, excuse me, she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And the house is not really a house. It's probably a little shack that they carry with them. It's a portable tent, and that's what you and I are in is a portable house in the field of God, doing the work of God. But notice this. Uh, the servant is bearing witness of who she is. Telling her story. Um, and her heart to work. Notice what it says. She has continued from morning until now. She's out there not just working, but she's working hard in Boaz's field, gleaning from the food. And she has continued. And that's what you and I have to do in God's field. Is we need to continue, abide, and remain. Because no one having putting their hand to the plow and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's scriptural. She's continued. No matter how hard the work is, no matter what is tossed at her, no matter how much she's getting, and she's probably getting very, very little. Because listen, if you're paid to glean somebody's field and, and you're doing a good job, you're not leaving much behind. So she's out there in the hot sun working and doing hard work just to get a little bit of bread so her and Naomi can eat. And she's been there since all morning in the hot sun and she's continued and she only rested a little bit. So it's talking about her character. It's talking about what she's doing. And she's not giving up. Now the interesting thing is, is that Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, he already knows the whole story anyway. It's kind of like God. God already knows the whole story. Listen, the whole town knows the whole story. Everybody knows that Naomi has come back and all of the men children are dead. Boaz already knows he's the kinsman redeemer. But he's been away maybe. I don't know where he's been. 
because he just now comes for the first time and sees her. And it's really, again, a picture of Christ because Christ is away right now, but he has a servant that's here that's keeping an eye on him, preparing the bride and taking care of the bride. And Ruth here is the bride. Her name means friend or friendship. And we are friends of Christ when we come to Christ. I don't call you servant anymore. I call you friend because I told you everything that I'm doing, he says in John 15. I don't know. Somewhere in that area. I don't know. So, he gives the story. She's continuing. Listen, it's so important that you and I continue, abide, and remain in the field of God. Doing the work of God for the glory of God. Fourteen, maybe, yeah. Verse eight. Now, I, you know, you might even read into it that this servant's saying, I, you know, because I know she's a foreigner, but I let her glean anyway. You might even read into it that he's kind of almost making like he might be in trouble. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody said that. Then Boaz said to Ruth, in him is strength, said to friend, you will listen, my daughter. Will you not? Listen, God says, listen, listen. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and they obey me, and they go in and out, and they find pastor. If you obey my commands, it is he that I love, and, and my father will love you, and we will come to you and make our home with you. Listen. In him is strength, says to his friend, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? It's your choice. It's my choice. Are we going to listen? Watch this. Watch, watch what happens. Power, provision, protection. See, she made a commitment that she was going to serve the God of Naomi, the God of Bethlehem. She didn't even know who it was, but she came. And she has continued, and she's working in his field. Do not go. Do you see what, the, what Boaz is saying? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here. But stay close by my young women. Listen, this is speaking of discipleship. This is speaking of fellowship. This is speaking of being a part of the body of Christ. Because these young women, they're working in God's field. It's speaking of the church and the bride of Christ working together in his field. And, and, and somebody new comes and comes into the field and he, and he says, listen to me and stay here so you can learn how to be a child of God. See, I learned how to pray in a prayer meeting. Oh, don't leave out the Holy Spirit and all the scriptures, but I learned to pray watching the family of God, the other workers in the field. I learned to, to do everything that I do for the kingdom of God by watching other people, either how they did it right or how they did it wrong. But I stayed close to the field of God in order to learn. And I'm still doing that. I'm still preaching that. 
And 20 years later, I am very young at that. But I'm telling you that if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to be rooted and established and built up and you don't want to be cheated, you have to stay in the field of God, doing the work of God with the people of God for the glory of God. You can't take off and go glean and work and think you're going to get something in another field and you're going to be okay because you're going to be left out there and he's going to come like a thief in the night and leave you. God's people work in God's field. His children are working in his, eating at his table and working in his yard, his field, for his glory. And they do it together. Stay close. Listen, there's relationships in the family of God. And you stay close to one another. And when you get close to one another, you see the chinks in the armor. You see the problems with that person. You see the way they do things. And you begin to pray for them. And you have grace and mercy upon them. And then you become more like God than any other time in your life. When you forgive and move on. And you try to help them. By praying for them. But you don't go glean in somebody else's field. So let me ask you, who are you gleaning for and where are you gleaning? Are you at work in God's field for his glory? See, because you can even be at work in his field and only doing it for your own glory, trying to build your own little kingdom. You can do it for the wrong reasons. Then he says in 9... Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young man not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Listen to this. Where are your eyes? Are they on the work of God, on the field of God, on the work that's going on that you're supposed to be reaping in? And when they go, are you going after them? See, that's how you know where to go. It's because the rest of the body of Christ is going, da, 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 and you go with them because you're part of them. When my body goes to work in the morning, I don't leave my arms on the bed. When, when, when my body goes to work, I don't leave my feet at home. My boss would be very unhappy if I came to his job and I'm like, how you doing? I'm going to do no work today because my arms are at home. I'm just here. Listen, I'm being facetious, but that's what the body of Christ does. You know, in the Old Testament, when they moved, and you guys that were here, we went through this. Every one of them, in the book of Numbers, they counted them, and every one of them had a job, every one of them had something to do. And if you got mad, and all of a sudden everybody moved, and you went over there, and you're supposed to be setting up the tabernacle, and the guy that carried the stakes was mad, and he stayed at the last camp, you ain't setting up nothing. You had to all do your part, or it didn't get set back up. Here's the guy that's carrying the coals on his head so you can start a fire. And he got mad. He's back over at the other camp. You ain't got no fire. It's going to be cold tonight. We all have to move together. And that takes closeness. That takes that you do receive people where they're at. And you challenge them to grow. And to go. And to be the body of Christ to others. This is what the body is supposed to be like.
It's God's field. We're his reapers. We're his workers. We're supposed to go together. We're supposed to stay close. And we're supposed to be discipling each other. And he says, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Listen, that would be a big problem, wouldn't it? But he has power. He's in control of the entire field. She's safe there. She's protected there. You are too. The devil can't touch us if we're in his field. But you go over there to clean. You go over there thinking everything's good. You are going to get decimated. You're going to get spoiled and fall for some lies. But when you're in God's field, he's already commanded them. You open the door to let the devil in, he's going to get you. You stay in his field, you got a hedge of protection around you. Doesn't feel like a hedge of protection. Well, it didn't happen to hurt you. It happened to help you. It happened to grow you. Well, it feels like it's hurting me. It's there to bring you into a relationship with God of trust. It's there maybe to, to, to chastise you because you were being rebellious. But it's to bring you back into his field and back into fellowship. It's not to destroy you. If you're of the family of God, he does not let his children go too far in another field till he spanks their butts. Now, you can get a butt spanking and stay in that field and keep getting butt spankings, or you can run back and return to the house of bread and to praise. You can return back to worship. You can return back to the first love that, that you need to come back to. If you thirst for righteousness, if you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have already drawn. Return back. Just repent. Just come and drink if you're thirsty. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the provision is there. All the protection is there. All the power is there. And he also says, I've already commanded the young man. It may speak of his intentions. Think about it. You guys stay back. She's beautiful. I love her at first sight. She's mine. And that's what God has done. He's betrothed us to, to, to one groom. That's what Paul said about the Corinthians. I betrothed you to Christ. Or is it the Galatians? And who's bewitched you? I fear that when he comes, you won't eat. I, I don't know what to do. But he trusts Christ to finish the work. Listen. God's intention is to have a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such stain when he comes. You can trust his intentions. They're good. He will do that in your life, in your heart, in the relationship. If you stay in his field, verse 10, what does Ruth do? She fell on her face. Listen, she's unclean. She's a Moabitess with no hope. And somebody just took great care of her. Somebody just gave her a home. Somebody just told her to stay here. You have a place here. She understands that this is the mercy of this man. It's mercy. And it's the same thing that you and I have been given from God when he demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Notice it doesn't say Christ rose for us. It says Christ died for us. That was the mercy of God. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground. 
She is all but worshiping this man. And in fact, she probably is. And she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Remember, she's from Moab. It's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of the kinsman redeemer right here on the pages of scripture. Now listen to me. This is very important in humility that she's saying why. She, she, she has no reason to have this home, to have this hope, to become part of his family, to be able to glean in the field freely. And it's mercy. That's all it is. He has taken mercy upon her. Because if you think you know why God saved you, if you think you know why he called you, if you think, well, he called me because I know he's going to use me to do this and this and this, then you are in very much trouble at the heart of your Christian walk. This is this very same place we should be with Christ. Why would you find favor? There is nothing about us that he, that he wants except for an empty vessel. There is nothing that he should do except it's all in him. He is the one. He is the one. It's all him. He did it because of his great love, because of his great mercy, because of his great grace. It's not because of her. It's because of his love. There's nothing in us. It's where we get the term undeserved or unmerited favor. There's nothing in us. We don't merit it. We can't earn it. We just have to receive it. She could not do anything She's just scratching to get some food to eat. And Boaz answered and said to her, In him is strength, this kinsman redeemer said to her, I got it in my notes, You have a beautiful babe, that's why. No, that's not it. That's not it, because people take this story and try to make it that way, that he walked out in the field and he's seen this beautiful foreign lady, and now he said, oh, yeah, here's a babe, I'm going to marry her. That's not it. It's his character, it's his nature, it's who he is, because he knows God. He's not in apostasy. He's looking to help the widow and the poor, because that's pure and unadulterated religion. He knows how to live for God, and that's what it's about. He's heard the story. He knows that Naomi is without a male child. He knows that this woman committed to take care of her and to help her, even though she had no future in Bethlehem. And she would become a servant so he knows what her character is. It's not about what she looks like. It's about her actions. It's not about putting on pretty clothes and shaving or putting on pretty clothes and spraying something on your hair. It's about the character and the heart of the person. That's what God is after. The inside, not the outside. Boaz is not looking at her beauty outside. He looked at her commitment and how she was living and following up on it and continuing and didn't stop what she said she was going to do. That's what Christ is looking for with us. He's not looking for us to figure out a way to do it by lifting weight and taking care of the flesh. 
He's looking for us to surrender and do it His way according to His kingdom because of His blood because He left the Holy Spirit to hand out the gifts and the the, uh, authority of His estate. And He's looking for us to become a part of that body of His children that are at His table eating and in His field gleaning. That's the way He wants us to do it. And boy, is it hard. It's easy to talk about. But surrender is much harder but it doesn't change the truth. Boaz said to her, it has been fully reported to me. See that? He knows everything. He knew it when he seen her. He knew everything already. God knows everything. He's omnipresent. It's been fully reported to me all about you. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your, your husband, which she was married to, I forget whether it was Malon or Chilion, puny or unhealthy. Never was a good marriage anyway. And how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. See that? He knows all about it. She gave up everything. You remember that? When Jesus gave that sermon and the disciples said, we've gave up houses, we've gave up homes, we've gave up everything. And he said, yeah, and you'll sit on 12 thrones and rule with me. In my kingdom. So you had to give up all of this to go with Jesus. You had to give up all of this for what? Look what he says. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Isn't that amazing? That's what she did. She came to Bethlehem. She said, your God will be my God. She came under the wings of a God who is trustworthy for refuge. And he said, the Lord will repay your work. Listen, if you come underneath God's wings to do his work in his field, according to his power, according to his cross and his blood, then he's going to repay you. He's going to reward you. But listen, that word refuge there, it's the word batak. I like that word. I've liked it for a long time. You know what it is? It's the Old Testament equivalent of the word faith. You have faith in his wings. You have trust. It's the word trust in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's refuge. Refuge in the Lord with all your heart. You've come under his wings for refuge. You've come under his wing to trust in him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Only time I think I like the nearly inspired version. He will make your path straight is what it says in the NIV. He'll make him straight paths. She left all. False gods. She turned. She came to Bethlehem. And now she will be rewarded. Because she's in the right field with the right heart. Serving the right God. But she's serving and working. And it's unmerited favor. It's the mercy of God. Because she's trusting in God. Thirteen. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly 
to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. She said, okay, good deal. She humbled herself in the sight of the Lord. She chose Naomi's God. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, uh-oh, here we go. Invites her out to lunch. That's that love at first sight. He loves her. Isn't that what God does with us? Listen, are you at mealtime with God? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is what the kinsman redeemer wants. He wants us to be in his field and then sit down and have a meal with him. Look what he does. This is what he does here. He, at mealtime, he said, what did he say? Come here. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and eat of the bread. Isn't that what Christ said? The bread of life? Come and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. It's probably sour wine. It was used to quench thirst in the hot sun. It's probably the same thing. Remember when, when, when Christ said, I thirst? And they tried to give him the, the, the what's it called, uh, gall? gall? And, it, and, he, and he wouldn't drink of it because it was vinegar. I forget what it was called. But he didn't drink of it. But it was for thirst. It's what they made for thirst. They're giving it to her here. But look what happens. So she sat beside the reapers. She sat down at his table. She's with her workers. She's a foreigner. She's sitting at the table of the kinsman redeemer, eating with them. That's you and I in the kingdom of God, at the table of God, having fellowship with God. The kinsman redeemer. And he... Look at it. it. I love this. I circled it. Circle he. He passed parched grain to her. The Redeemer, the kinsman, Boaz, is serving her as he sits there. As she sits there after working in his field. He is serving her. That's why they say at the wedding supper of the Lamb that we'll be seated and Christ will be serving us. He passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied listen listen eating at God's table will always satisfy you but notice it's got a little thing there and she kept some back I can relate to that because you know what I study and I study and I study and I keep some back you guys don't get everything that I get out of this bread well you get a lot because I, I know I've been called a, a fire hydrogen with a cap off. There's a lot here. But you don't get everything. There is a bunch here. I'm amazed at what's here. And we're not even getting a thimble full of what's really here right now. And it's so deep. But she was satisfied. Satisfied. But she kept some back. Mmm. I'm going to save me some, too, in case I don't have none tomorrow. Hmm. No, that's not what it's about. What is she doing? She put it up for Naomi. Her heart is on Naomi. This is the commitment. This is the trust. This is what she has done. So we are supposed to be putting some back for others. We're always supposed to be thinking of others. It's the one another ministry. It actually says it there. She takes it out in verse 18 after she had been satisfied. It tells you what she did. 
She gives that. She brings the grain home to Naomi, which is over a half a bushel. But then she pulls out some of that food that the Lord, and she give it to somebody else. She give it to the one she was helping. She give it to the one that brought her into the kingdom. She's giving back from the meal that she ate. Because it never should stop with you. It should always pass through you when the Lord serves you and gives you and brings to you. You always give it back. You can't outgive Him. Her heart was on giving back. She was satisfied. You satisfy my soul. I got to do it. Go to Proverbs 19. We're running out of time. We're going to finish this story. Uh, nothing new with me. Proverbs 19 and 23. This is one of them that I like to take you to. I really feel lost, even though this Bible is exactly like my Bible. I feel lost most of the time in it. It just doesn't look like the same pages. And it's not loading as much. Yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there, but I got mine getting recovered. 1923, look at this. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. She continues, she abided, she remained, she's in his field, she's at his table, she's satisfied, she kept some back for others, he will not be visited with evil. Listen, there's your protection. I've already warned all the young men not to bother you. There's your protection. I'm telling you, there is evil, there is a devil, there is crazy stuff going on on our planet. But nothing's going to happen in your life if you're in God's field doing his work for his glory and you're under the blood and even when it looks evil, even when it feels evil, God has allowed it to train you and to teach you, to chastise you, to educate you, to use it for your glory, to use it to bring glory to Him. But listen, there was a young man being raised in the church in England. And he's being raised up to be the next great orator. And they loved him. He was a clean-cut kid. He could speak well. He could sing well. They loved him in the choir. They loved him to preach. And they was touting him as the next thing. But he liked to play soccer. And he got hit in the head with a ball. And he bit the tip of his tongue off. And he started to talk with a little bit of a lisp. And they said, Oh, no, you're not going to be able to be the next order. Oh, he can't sing in the choir. So he got a night job and started a band. And he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame singing, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. And he has a serpent all the way down his body that's tattooed on him. And his number one, one of their number one songs is Sympathy for the Devil. And this is because the church didn't accept him because he talked with the list because of a tongue injury that he ends up being one of the biggest instruments for the devil on the planet with the music that he plays, with the people that he's still leading to hell. But he knows he cannot get no satisfaction unless you're in the field of God, doing the work of God, for the glory of God, and, and He's serving you, and you're storing it up to give it to others, there is no satisfaction. But the fear of the Lord leads to life, abundant life.
And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. You will abide, remain, and continue, and dwell in his house forever, Psalms 23 tells us. She's satisfied she kept some back. What's it say in the Proverbs? A fool vents all of his feelings. You've got to keep some back sometimes. You've got to be careful what you say. I learn that more and more every second about what I say. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, which was above the law. It was way more than what the law required. And do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until he... Listen, listen, you know what that was right there I just read? That was grace. Mercy was up here finding favor... This is grace, giving more than was above the law. This is, this is the grace of God. This is, this is exceedingly abundantly. It's continuing to come. It's more than you even imagine because her eyes are on the field. Her eyes are on God's glory. And so God provides more. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and His glory, then He'll throw this whole world in. You will not want. I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that you're going to eat steak every night. You'll be satisfied with the peanut butter sandwich because you'll understand that the glory and and all the honor is God's and you'll be content with what he gives you. This is not talking about prosperity and the prosperity gospel. It's talking about contentment and satisfaction with knowing that you're exactly where God has you for such a time as this in his field for his glory because you didn't deserve anything but death and he gave you mercy and he gave you grace and peanut butter sandwiches are very good when you're on death row they're even better when somebody walks into the cell and they lead you out and the door is closed on him and you get to go free and you understand that there was a redeemer that took your place took your curse, you'll be happy with peanut butter sandwiches. And you'll understand that it's grace and prosperity and satisfaction. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Guess what? That's how long we're going to do it, till evening. The evening and the morning were the first day. Remember, we did this in 1 Thessalonians. The evening's going to start a new day. And that's when the rapture happens, in the evening. That's when she left the field. Evening. I'm just telling you, a little tidbit. And beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley, which is a little more than a bushel. It's about 30 or 40 pounds. It's a really good day's work, especially when it was all provided because of God's grace. Even though she couldn't have got that much just gleaning according to her own filthy rags and works of the law, She would have never got that much. But when she stepped under the kingdom redeemer's arms, he said, give her more. Pour her more. I'm on a throne of grace. Give her more. Then she took it and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave it to her, brought out 
and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. See that? She shared her lunch with Naomi, as Sharon said. She was satisfied and she kept some back because Naomi was on her heart the whole time she was in the field. She knew what she was doing and everything she was doing was she was considering the needs of others. Philippians, what is it, 3, 2 or something? Do not just look out for your own needs, but consider the needs of others. Every decision you make in the field of God affects somebody. And you don't want to leave other people out there stranded when you can take care of them. And it's in your will to do it. It's in your heart to do it. It's in your possession to do it. And you leave it out. Then that is the sin of omission. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? See, this is why I told you, she doesn't know where she went. She doesn't know that she's been in Boaz's field. She didn't know where Boaz's field was. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. She knew somebody took notice. I have all that. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord... Who has not forsaken his kindness of the living and the dead. See where she does? She recognizes it's the Lord. She recognized the Lord is redeeming them. She recognized it's the nearest of kin. She recognized that God has not left her out. And he's rewarding her for coming back to the house of bread and praise. He's rewarding her for being obedient. And even Ruth is being used to do it. And that's exactly what's happened. If you talk about Romans 11, Romans 11, you know the Gentile church is here, that God's still going to do another work or a work with all of Israel. And we're supposed to talk about God and Christ to Israel and make them jealous because we are serving their God. That's what's going on here. <clears throat> a foreigner has met the kinsman redeemer and telling a Jew, Naomi, who's bitter about her God. And Naomi is blessing the Lord for it. And he's going to do that work. He's not finished with Israel. This man is a relation of ours. One of our close relatives. And this is where we get the word Goel. Kinsman redeemer. It's the nearest of kin. And that's what we talked about earlier, where Christ became man so that he could redeem mankind. It's because he becomes our kinsman redeemer. He had to be flesh in order to redeem us. Ruth, the Moabitess, said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Stay in the field. Stay with the body of Christ until the harvest is finished. Listen, it's finished positionally. When he hung on the cross, he said it is finished to tell us die. But we have to cross the finish line in his field for his glory. <clears throat> and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. 
listen, it's good that you stay with the church and stay in fellowship. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest, which was mid-April, it's the early harvest, and the wheat harvest, which is late uh, later, it's, it's mid-June, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Isn't that cool? She doesn't just do it for one, but she stays in the field. She wants to go, and the late harvest is what we're going to hear, the trumpets. It's going to be the trumpet sound. It's the rapture. you got to stay to the finish line. But notice this. It really tells us she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Did you, did you guys catch that? Did you catch that? Now, now, let me take you back to a physical sense. There's a man that's taking interest in her and lavishing her with gifts. And she didn't go move in with him. She stayed with her mother-in-law until they're married. She remained in honor. Listen to me. That's what the church should do too. You don't just run off and go, God will forgive it and I can do what I want. No. You stay in His field. You do what He says. You obey His commands. She dwelt with her mother-in-law. She's taking care of her. Even though she has a kinsman redeemer, she still is taking care of the mother-in-law. Whose field are you working in today? Listen, if you're working in God's field, and you say, well, I'm working in God's field, whose strength are you doing it in? For whose glory? Where do you go when you thirst? What are you drinking of? This is an amazing book. I'm blown away by it. I've been wanting to teach it for years, and I'm walking slowly through the Old Testament going, I want to jump ahead and go to Ruth. It should be called Boaz, shouldn't it? In him is strength. Listen, that's where you want to hide. You want to be in his field so you can be protected and provided for and under his power, under his wings. He's a great provider. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever hope for or ask in your life. But you've got to surrender and humble yourself. And, and, and you can even be amazed as you humble yourself as to why you would find favor in his sight. And he says in Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and lead you. I will guide you with my eye. He's the one that will counsel you. He'll invite you to lunch too. He wants to fellowship with you. All the time. Mm, mm, mm. It's our kinsman redeemer, folks. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. This love story of redemption. We thank you that even while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You poured your blood out to atone for our sin. That even though we were foreigners, we were not a people, that now we have become a people by the spirit of adoption, by which we cry, Abba, Father. Thank you for bringing us to your table to eat. And Lord, we know that we're going to sit at your table in heavenly places as your bride. Not just your church where you're the head, but your bride where you'll be the head. 
and we will be your helpmates as we rule and reign with you in the millennial kingdom just as a bride is to her husbandman down here oh my Lord we can't wait we can't wait Lord wake us up help us to trust in your providential grace that if we just put our hands to the task we'll wake up in your field doing your work for your glory as long as it lines up with your word and is empowered by your spirit because of your blood thank you for the finished work of the cross thank you for such a great love story that is unable to be understood but it's because of who you are not who we are thank you Lord Jesus we give you praise. Amen.